News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on another edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen on this Friday night. 704-570-1110, as always, is the telephone number to get in on the show. And guys, make sure you follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. So last night, I played part one of my exclusive interview with CMS Superintendent Dr. Crystal Hill. Tonight is part two, and this interview was very, very extensive. We covered a wide range of topics, topics that I promise you no other reporter in Charlotte were going to ask. And Dr. Hill was so kind with her time, she gave me unprecedented access to her, more than any other media member in Charlotte has ever had access to her. So I really appreciated that. And so over the course of two days, we conducted this interview. So I'm just laying all that out there to let you know how extensive this interview process was. So not long ago, Chief Operations Officer Brian Schultz announced that he's going to retire. So I start the interview asking about Brian Schultz's retirement because he and Dr. Hill go back a long way. So this is how we start the interview with me asking about the Chief Operations Officer Brian Schultz retiring. I want to switch to uh, another department and Brian Schultz retiring. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I heard that early last week. Yeah. Um, He, from everyone that I've spoken to, to the old boards, like a couple boards ago, that he is more or less singularly responsible for helping get you the job. Yes, your your qualifications, your resume, but he really promoted you internally to help you get the job when you first came in as chief of staff. Um, And then, you know, and then you've progressed and here you are, you know, a year and a half later. So what do you think prompted him to announced to announce his retirement so early well i'll speak to what you originally said i was made aware of the position that was here actually i saw it on tv and at the time i was looking to change roles quite frankly i did not want to come to charlotte mecklenburg schools i didn't want to go be in k-12 education period i was looking to exit because of everything that happened with the pandemic So when I heard about the position, I did apply um, for the position. Um, Where I am right now, there is one person that is responsible for me being where I am, and that's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My steps are ordered by him, not by anybody else. So um, no one else helped me get the job. Well, it always helps. I stand on my my own two feet. Oh, of course, of course. But people help on the inside. What I will say about um, Mr. Schultz is um, I've known Mr. Schultz for a really long time, actually. Our paths crossed. um, I went to Cabarrus County Schools for one year as a personnel director. And while I was there that year, he was the elementary director. And our paths crossed in a meeting, and we hit it off right away had the same philosophy about doing what's best for kids, all of that. And so, um, and that was, my child was just born. So that was maybe 13 years ago, maybe. And so our paths have just crossed in different ways. At that point, um, I left Cabarrus after one year, went back to Morrisville to be a principal. He came here, I believe, to CMS. Then our paths crossed again because I went back to Cabarrus in charge of curriculum. He was in charge of curriculum here, so our paths crossed uh, multiple times. Um, Brian let me know, um, one of the other, I'll just say this, one of the other things that Brian and I quickly learned through a mutual friend is that we weren't smart with our money. 
<laughs> what I mean, and I say that as a joke, is that you know not understanding our retirement system because we as educators just come to work. So um, you know, Brian and I have always talked about like how many more years do you have left, how much money are you putting away because if you retire on educator salary, you're not going to be able to make it. You know, all that kind of stuff. So we always poke fun at each other about that. Um, and our roles, of course, have shifted. You know, when Brian was in Cabarrus for a short time, he was the interim superintendent there. And so I was the CAO, he was my interim superintendent. So, you know, we've just had multiple relationships. Um, he let me know um, quite early that he was considering retirement, calculating his time. And um, I'm just so appreciative of Brian for doing the right thing and letting me know well in advance that he was going to retire. Um, I'm excited about what his future holds. You know, we give up a lot to be in, in this world, and so I'm excited about um, his future. But I'm also excited about the handoff. Um, you just mentioned a $2.5 billion bond is in his area. Transportation is in his area. School nutrition is in his area. So he is the chief of roughly about 10,000 employees um, you know, that serve in schools and across the district. So it's really important for him to let me know early so we can interview, excuse me, post-interview, bring somebody on. And the way that I have it planned out is that there will be a three-month hand-over-hand transition. That's really important to me and it's really important to our district because of all of the things that we've talked about, being destabilized, the very last thing that I want is for a chief to walk out the door and not to have somebody that can that can run ship because it's just it's it just creates uh really puts us in a really bad position. So um, I'm sad to see Brian leave, but I'm really excited about um, what his future holds and and everything that he has to do. And like I said, just eternally grateful that he did what I wish most professionals would do, and that's give you a really long leeway into when they plan to transfer. I saw the sixty page document mm -hmm. that was done about the operations and the facilities and the building management, oh, yeah. the, the, the audit or the study mm -hmm. that was done. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things in there that weren't exactly glowing. Yeah. Um, I know that you've got a lot on your plate between changing the learning, learning communities and you know, principals and just everything going on. How do you manage trying to fill what was in that report Mm -hmm. while trying to juggle everything else, while trying to find a new COO. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the things that Brian did with my approval, of course, he came to me and said, you know, first of all, we're doing this, this audit. I think it's really important to have somebody from the outside come in and do it. They did it, gave us the results. Um, weren't really shocked, you know, about, about some of the things. But how to fix it and how to tackle was a totally different thing. So one of the things that Brian did was, he worked with um, an outside consultant that's come in and has said, here's the report, here's some things that have worked in other large urban districts across the country, let's start organizing and doing some things there. So Brian's worked really closely, he's brought all of his um, leadership team in and they're working together with the consultant to do some, I don't want to say reorg, because it's really not reorg, but it's really just looking at mainly processes and systems. So what are the things that are our biggest pain points and what are some things that we can do to address it? How are we organized, you know, work orders would probably, anything in building services that impacts the schools would be huge. 
what are some things that other large urbans are doing that we need to put in place that we don't have in place to address it? Which again is why I wanted that hand over hand with Brian, with the new COO. Because whoever comes in has got to embrace that work. The expectation is not that you come in and look at it and say, nope, we're not doing any of that. No, we've invested in the study. We've invested in the fix. We need somebody that's going to be on board to, to carry that work forward. So some really interesting things there about the operations side of CMS. Obviously, the COO, Brian Schultz, t- announcing that he's retiring, as well as this audit that we I mentioned where 60 pages, the audit was like 60 pages long, and it went into a myriad of things that were either completely wrong with a lot of the buildings or the communications or just the things that are working and not working. I mean, it was very, very extensive, and that was the audit that I'm talking about. When we come back, we're going to finish up my exclusive and very extensive interview with Dr. Crystal Hill. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this special edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen on a Friday night as we get ready to conclude my exclusive and extensive sit-down interview over the course of two days with CMS Superintendent Dr. Crystal Hill. We start in now talking about some personnel stuff and the fact that CMS is short around 500 teachers, give or take. So the first question here is, how does she plan on going about to actually fill those roles, as well as trying to figure out why they're not staying once you actually get them in the system? So here's the conclusion to my interview with Dr. Crystal Hill, CMS superintendent. Short, maybe around 500 teachers. Is that about right? That's correct. Give or take. So short around 500 teachers. Are you, are you trying the same things that you tried maybe last year or this summer to bring in teachers? Are you changing strategies to try and fill these roles? And when teachers leave, are they given like exit interviews and saying, hey, why are you guys leaving? Or like, how, how are you guys going about trying to fill those 500 vacancies? Yeah, so as you know, we have $190 million in ESSER. $60 million is tied to people. And so what we're in the process of doing is evaluating our spend, um, both our operating budget, both our ESSER budget, to figure out what's worked, what hasn't worked, and how can we move positions, not people, Mm -hmm. positions, because we know we're going to have to cut 60, and we also have this deficit. So I I sent um, letters, personalized letters, to every person that's funded through our ESSER dollars at the beginning of the year saying, Thank you so much for your commitment to Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. We value you. Um, Even though you're in an ESSER role, please don't freak out. Don't quit and go somewhere else. We're going to work really hard to find a place for you. So to answer your question, we're taking a really close look at all of the different pieces. And what we're trying to do is do addition by subtraction. That's a really hard thing. And you will see that come out in the next several weeks So our budget process. But we feel confident that we will have a plan to fill our teacher vacancies with the help of Nancy Bright. That's why I need her to go over in February with her support and help to lead that effort to make sure that we're not in the situation that we're currently in and that we have been in the last couple of years in terms of teacher vacancies. When you talk to teachers, are you finding out teachers, finding out why they're not staying or why they're leaving? Have you, when you're trying to figure out, okay, we get them, but they're not all staying. Have you found out yeah. why? Well, we do have a general, like, it's not robust. And so that's one of the other things that I've asked Nancy to work on is really taking a really good look at the employee life cycle, not just when people exit, but like 
we need to have a pulse on what how people are doing when they first get here. Like, tell us about your onboarding experience. You know, kind of like you get the customer service. You know, did you feel like when you got to your school, you were well prepared? Did your principal support you? Blah, 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 blah. So she's working on that. Generally speaking, for, um, you know, a lot of our teachers are retiring. So that's thing one. We have a great retirement system in North Carolina. If you were hired before, they did some different things at the state. So a lot of our teachers are taking advantage of that. We are finding that some of our newer teachers are really having a hard time because they came in as COVID teachers. They only came in knowing how to teach through a virtual aspect. And then when they get to in-person, it, it becomes a little bit difficult. So lots of different reasons. Um, Sometimes pay happens as well. Um, it's expensive to live in Charlotte or the Mecklenburg County um, area. And so while our supplement is really high compared to others, it's just really expensive to live here. But those are some of the reasons, um, generally speaking. And it's just, it is hard to teach. It, it's a lot. It's a lot different, certainly when I was in the classroom, even being a principal is really hard. The things that people have to deal with so much now is so much different than it was years ago, which is why um, I'm really, really tight on making sure that our job is to support principals and to support teachers so they can do what's best for our kids. That's why we're here. It's not for any other reason. And quite frankly, if they're not here, we don't have a job. So we better figure out how to serve them. As you start bringing in people that you are familiar with mm -hmm. and uh, people that you've worked with in the past, even your first principal and others, trying to bring people in to maybe change the culture. Like, what were you? What are you trying to change internally before you get to the school system mm -hmm. or the schools themselves? Yeah. So I want to be really clear. Um, my strategy isn't about bringing in new people to enact lots of change. That's a terrible strategy. A terrible leadership strategy. Um, I am all about. Um, bringing in a good mix. So I believe that you have to have a core of people that have been in place, as well as a core of, uh, excuse me, new people that are coming in that can come together with a united vision. And so that has really um, been my strategy. Um, anybody coming into Charlotte or any, you know, any, new, any new district, there's a huge learning curve. And so if you're bringing new people in and you're not honoring and respecting the culture and what has been here, then you're going to be in trouble. What I will say about our district is we have experienced successes. The major um, thing that I see with our district is we have operated primarily on a decentralized model. And what I mean by that is we operated primarily as a district of schools instead of a school district. So the strategy in the past had been, you know, you get the strongest principals, teachers, um, you know, you hire them, they'll just do what they need to do, which is a great strategy, right? But we think it's a great strategy. But what, and that also um, allows for lots of innovation. But what happens is we found that that innovation has worked, but it hasn't necessarily worked for every single student. And my responsibility is to make sure that we provide a core instructional experience for everybody. Not cookie cutter, but a core experience. Think about if you go to Chick-fil-A or Amazon, right? Like there's a certain level of expectation. What I've learned just being here is the answer is always it depends. So when I talked about asking all those questions, a lot of time the answer is it depends. Depends on what learning community you're in, depends on who your learning community superintendent is, it depends on what this, what that. And that's because the decision making has been very decentralized. 
but ultimately the superintendent is the one that's responsible. So in my mind, we need to come together and come up with what are our core standard operating procedures because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's responsible and I'm not going to be responsible for all of these decisions that are made here that aren't in alignment with my expectations. Last question on a good note. The this has all been good. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, glad, you, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> in the world of sports, which is my background, yeah. they always say a coach who's hired, brought in, has a five-year plan because he has a five-year contract. If you had a four-year contract, it would be a four-year <laughs> plan. With your plan to get the, the test scores, the graduation rates... Doesn't match, does it? No, well, I was going to say, and, <laughs> and you know the vacancies feel just everything. Yeah. The timeline of your plan, I mean, I, when you map it out, you probably have, okay, here are my goals. Mm -hmm. So what are the goal timelines for you to try? And I don't know if anyone could ever achieve getting everything done in the school yeah. system this big, but what are your goal timelines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so great question. So everything that I do is driven by the board's goals and guardrails. You know, you've heard that over and over again. So the goals that they've adopted start 2024. July 1, 2024, and expire June 30th, 2029. So my strategic plan, our strategic plan, will align with that. And of course, that plan outruns my contract, if it makes sense. Um, my goal this year was to get our runway going straight, so when we start on July 1, we are ready to go and we're in place, which is why we're making a lot of these changes now instead of waiting until the summer. The other reason why we're making the changes now is I'm a strong believer that people need to know what their life is going to be six months from now and don't, don't need the rug pulled out from under them. Um, but so that is basically my goal. In terms of timeline, the first thing that we have to do is get structured and organized correctly because the plan can't be a plan that's built on, it's kind of like building a house, can't build a, a house on a faulty foundation got to figure out what needs to be replaced, get the cracks filled, get everything solid before we can start putting it So that concludes my interview with Dr. Krista Hill. If you missed any part of it, you can go back. If you missed last night's, if you missed earlier today's, go to WBT.com and you can see all the interviews right there. As a matter of fact, I think maybe over the weekend, we're going to try to put the two interviews together from Thursday and Friday to make it into one long interview. So you don't have to go to like a couple different web pages. But I wasn't joking when I said some really fascinating stuff. We touched on a lot of minutia. We touched on things that are looking at CMS as a whole. We did micro and macro and personnel and the future and things that have happened in the past. We just touched on a lot. And again, I want to thank Dr. Crystal Hill for allowing me such um, unprecedented access, to be perfectly honest with you. So again, thanks a lot to her and thanks a lot for CMS for helping put all this together. But when we come back, Massive, massive changes going on over at Spectrum Center over the next 18 to 20 months. We'll figure out what's going on and why it's going on. But right now, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Keith Young. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. Okay, so look, we're in the middle of basketball season. The Hornets are playing, not having a very good season, but they're still playing nonetheless, and the games are still entertaining. But when you start going to Hornet games next year and the year after, the Spectrum Center is going to be vastly different. Over the next 18 to 20 months or so, a lot of changes are going to be happening over at Spectrum Center. Everything from adding more seats to the bowl to, you know, the concession stands and everything else. So I wanted to talk with Donna Julian. So Donna Julian is the executive vice president of the Hornets, as well as the general manager of the Spectrum Center. 
about all the changes that are going to be occurring over the next year and a half or so. So first of all, Donna, I really appreciate you joining me. And second of all, why did you decide now was a good time to make all the changes? Is Spectrum Center not good enough? Is it not up to date? Like, why did you guys decide to make the changes? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things with that, right? I mean, obviously, the building is coming up here on 20 years, and and it, it does need some work to be done to keep it the world-class facility we want it to be and to keep us competitive for, for the future as far as getting events and, and serving the, the community that people are coming through our doors all the time. I think the other thing I would touch on that our ownership is, is really uh, – committed to creating this premier franchise with the Hornets. And to do that, you also want to have world-class facilities. And so this is kind of also a, a, a vision of theirs and very important to their long-term plan. But it does come down to having a, the building that the city and the citizens of Charlotte deserve. I'm speaking with Donna Julian. She is the Hornets executive vice president, as well as the general manager of the Spectrum Center about all the changes that will be coming over the next 18 to 20 months to the Spectrum Center. So, Donna, I'm curious. It wasn't that long ago a survey came out amongst media members that travel and cover the NBA, and they had Spectrum Center ranked near the bottom of the arenas. Did you guys know about this at all? No, I mean, that's the first I've heard of that, so I, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not aware of that study or that 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 piece of information um you know you're talking about a building was open in 2005 so clearly some of the 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 player spaces the visiting team spaces um probably have been outdated compared to a couple other these new facilities that these players are seeing every time and and thus again why some of this stuff is so important to us i speak with donna julian the spectrum center's general manager and executive vice president of the charlotte hornets Donna, what changes will the fans notice immediately once they walk into the arena? And what are some of the changes that they won't necessarily see that are happening behind the scenes? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's important to know that kind of the guest experience uh, was top of mind through the whole process, right? So so we feel people are going to have an immediate feel of just coming into the building. There'll be some adjustments to a couple of our, our entrances to make that entrance a little bit more efficient getting in the building. I think the flow of the building, you know, you talk about signage, lighting, all of those things are very impactful, right, Brett? So that's going to make a difference for people. I would highlight our food and beverage options are going to uh, be increased and change, and the variety of that is going to change a little bit. But more importantly, the efficiency of how people are going to get their food and beverage is going to change dramatically. I would say the other impactful thing will be opening up the bowl a little bit so people can kind of see into the arena more and then creating these kind of gathering spaces that we think people are, are wanting to do as they're socializing at the event. So I think when you look at those three or four things that I just mentioned, it's going to be impactful to every single guest that walks through our doors. Um, I think the things that are probably not people don't see all the time is kind of the back of house things, you know, we'll do some upgrades to kind of our chiller systems and all those things that people don't necessarily see, but are obviously extremely important to us operating efficiently. I'm speaking with Donna Julian. She's the general manager of the Spectrum Center, as well as the executive vice president of the Charlotte Hornets. So, Donna, one of the big trends over the last three or four or five years, stadiums and arenas are trying to expedite the checkout lines and getting your food as fast as possible so the fans can get to the seats. So they're not worried about having to spend 20 minutes at a concession stand or even 15 minutes and missing a lot of actions. So is that something you guys are looking at? 
absolutely. We see we see that as a great opportunity. We we've done some frictionless things. You're you see in the building right now that we've done over the last couple of years. But I think when you look at the grab and go concept, um, the frictionless way to kind of go through your food and beverage experience, that is going to be very significant and again very impactful for all of our guests that are coming in here. Yep. So you you look at the speed of service. And the variety of options, the food and beverage is going to definitely be something that everybody's going to see a, a huge increase at. I speak with Donna Julian, the executive vice president of the Charlotte Hornets and the general manager of the Spectrum Center. So, Donna, this may be a silly question, but in terms of seating, are you guys going to be doing anything different to the seats? Are you guys going to be adding new ones, taking some away, adding more seats, uh, changing the sight lines? What are you guys going to do, if anything, with the seats? Yeah, no, not at, not at all. I think if, you, if we talked a little bit about it, we've got two things happening. And, and as, as you probably read, I mean, we've got a series of things happening in the summer of 2024, and then there's the summer of 25 work as well. So we'll get, we open, everything will be done by the 25-26 NBA season. I think two things on seating. One is in that second summer, the summer of 2025, we're going to be increasing our lower bowl capacity up to about 8,500, about 2,500 more seats in the lower bowl, which I think will get people closer to the action. So I think that's going to be extremely transformational. Um, I think the other really important point is through this process, every seat in the arena bowl will be replaced. So hopefully that will be more comfort for people. So I do think people are going to feel the seating impact as they kind of come back to the building. Talking with Donna Julian, who's the executive vice president of the Charlotte Hornets and general manager of the Spectrum Center, so, Donna, you talked about this earlier, and I actually like the thought process of this. You're talking about maybe opening up the concourse more so they can see the court and not have it closed off. What is the thought process behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's just that guest experience. I think people want to be able to – we want them to be engaged in what's happening in the bowl, what's happening for – whether it be a Hornets game or a concert, right? But at the same time, allow them to get some food and beverage and gather a little bit. So I think there's a sweet spot of – of how you do that, but we felt like that was really important. Uh, just another example that will happen in the summer of 2025 is taking one of our kind of mini clubs on both the sides of the building and kind of opening that up too, which was at one point was a club for only certain members to, to use, but now everybody will be able to use that, and that's another one of those spaces that we're opening up to the bowl. I think it's just going to create a, just a general, a completely different feel to our concourse and our flow, and I think people are going to really enjoy that. Speaking with Donna Julian, the general manager of Spectrum Center and executive vice president of the Hornets. So, Donna, when you guys decided to make all these renovations and everything, did you go around the country and look at different arenas and go, you know what? I don't like necessarily what's going on with the San Antonio Spurs, but we like what's going on with the Indiana Pacers in their arena. Did you guys take a wide look at a lot of different arenas before coming up with decisions for your own arena? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I'm so fortunate, I've, I've got some great colleagues that uh, around the NBA, so I could reach out to them and get feedback. Uh, you know, obviously, we, we made a trip down to Atlanta. Uh, you mentioned Indy. They've done some great work there. So it's a combination, Brett, of kind of looking to see what's out there, but it has to fit Charlotte, right? So um, you take that feedback, and some of the feedback they give us is here's what's working and here's what's not working, which is very valuable too, right? But, yeah, we definitely have checked out the, the newer facilities. Phoenix would be one as well and kind of got feedback from them and then kind of took that information, worked with our designers and architects to figure out how does that play here in Charlotte. So, Don, is there anything extra that you want to add or something that I didn't ask you about that you want to discuss? 
No, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I, I just think that, that, that we realize how valuable this building is to the community, and it's a community asset. You know, we have so many people coming through our doors for Hornets games and for the variety and diversification of events that we have. So we just are so excited that we can kind of start this project, and, and we're just really excited where we're going to be when we open up in 25 and 26 season for the NBA. Donna Jillian, Executive Vice President of the Charlotte Hornets and General Manager of Spectrum Center, I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us tonight. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. There you have it. Donna Jillian talking about all the changes that are coming to Spectrum Center over the next 18 to 20 months or so. It's going to be in a couple of different phases. And you know what? Look. I still think it's a good arena. Everyone enjoys it, but things get dated. Things get outdated, and you can streamline things like the concession stand and adding more seats to the lower bowl. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Charlotte should have a much bigger arena, and the fact that they're going to be adding 2,500 more seats, that's actually really good. So I appreciate that they're doing that, and that they're going to be changing a lot of other things and changing the concourse areas and all that. So you know what? Good for them, and it's part of the Charlotte Hornets' new ownership as well as the city of Charlotte and a couple others that are going to be involved in this to make sure this happens over the next 18 to 20 months or so. So I really appreciate her joining us. So when we come back, Sheriff McFadden, he had a press conference today along with the chief financial officer of Advanced Auto Parts. What in the world is that about? We'll find out when we return. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this final little bit of Breaking with Brett Jensen before we send you off into the weekend. So earlier today, Sheriff Gary McFadden, along with Steve Szilagyi, now he is the Executive Vice President of Supply Chain for Advanced Auto Parts. Well, that company, along with the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Department and the Pineville Police Department, have teamed up. And so what they're going to do is it's actually a really, really cool situation. So when either a sheriff's deputy or a Pineville police officer pulls you off for having an out tail light or a headlight that's out, instead of writing you a ticket, they very well may be handing you a $25 gift card to Advanced Auto Parts so you can go there and buy a new one and fix it and not have to get a ticket. So I think that's actually really cool. And they're going to give like $3,000 total and each gift card is worth $25. So I had a chance to talk with Sheriff Gary McFadden and the executive vice president of the supply chain, Steve Szilagyi, about this program. How are you guys going to go about doing that? Are you still going to turn on the lights? How are you going to go about getting people to stop in order to give them these cards? Well, I think we still do uh, the traffic stop with the lights and the caution that we go to the car. But imagine that when we tell them that we're stopping you because your taillight is out, but we're going to give you a, a gift certificate. I think the anxiety will come down, and they're going to remember that officer or remember that deputy. And so that's what we want to do. We want, we want to do the unexpected. Uh, we want to be out of the norm. And, um, and I think that will help us bridge that gap between what we always talk about, the community and law enforcement. And with this, with Advanced Auto, I think it, it's, a, it's a win-win. How will you determine who gets the cards, who doesn't get the cards, how many how many of your deputies get, how many cards they get, all that other stuff? Well, we're going to have to figure that out because uh, we're going to probably give most of the deputies the cards on the road. And then if they see somebody with a taillight, headlight out, we're going to stop and say, ma'am, I'm stopping you because of this. And we're going to talk to them and then send here's a gift card. So um, uh, I'm hoping that we have enough to give um, most of our deputies working on the road or the people who does high volume traffic. Uh, we'll, we'll go that route. How did this program come about? Who reached out to whom about doing this? I think Advance reached out to our guys. You know, they, they have been to all the other little cities um, and, and, played, and played with the minor leagues. And so they came home and played with the big boys. And, um, 
you know, our 1.2 million citizens are appreciate advanced auto too, but they got tired playing in the small pond and want to come to the big pond, big, big, big fish. <laughs> How long has this been, has, has this program been going on? We started in 2020 and we wanted to create opportunities for positive engagement between law enforcement and the community. We thought this was a great way to do it and a great way to uh, uh, turn what what uh, Sheriff was just saying could be a negative experience into a positive experience uh, when someone's engaging with law enforcement and, and law enforcement's engaging with the community. So uh, so this is our fifth year of doing it. As uh, Sheriff said, we are in, in uh, 60 different, uh, over 60 different communities. Uh, and it's our first time in Charlotte though, so we're glad to step up to the big leagues and uh, excited about being here. Have you guys heard, from, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to know if that 2020 state start date was for nationwide, or uh, was it specifically North Carolina? You know, I can't answer whether it was nationwide, but uh, we are nationwide. The 60, the 60 plus, yeah, that's, that's okay. nationwide. Yeah, it's not just North Carolina. In North Carolina, we are in, we're partnering with the Raleigh Police Department, uh, the Greensboro Police Department, and the Gulliford County Sheriff's Department. How's the success, when you look at other places, was it such a success in 2020 that you said, Let's carry this on over to 2021 and so forth and so forth. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, you know, you see see body cam video of uh, people crying because uh, what they thought was going to be a negative encounter turned out to be a positive and helpful. And like like I said earlier, you never know what people are facing at any point in time. And um, the difference between having to pay a ticket and repair an equipment issue versus just having help repairing the equipment issue, it can really, really have an impact. We've got got lots of examples where this is doing exactly that making a positive difference all right so that's going to do it for tonight again if you missed any part of my exclusive interviews over the last two days with dr crystal hill the cms superintendent go to wbt.com and check it out so that's going to do it for tonight have a great weekend and i'll talk to you next week i'm brett jensen and you've been listening to breaking with brett jensen